Hey everyone, and welcome back to There Was an Idea. In this episode, we're still friends, right? I'm joined by English and film teacher Erin Stewart and her husband, MCU enthusiast Sean Stewart, in a conversation about Captain America Civil War. We talk identity, rhetorical appeals, groupthink versus the wisdom of crowds, and we share our takes on the question, is the MCU cinema? As this is the first episode featuring the character of Black Panther since the passing of Chadwick Boseman, I wanted to also take a moment to acknowledge the influence of his work as an actor. About Black Panther, Chadwick said, This experience is an opening for people's consciousness. Their boundaries should be shaken and moved. There's a hero here that I hope people grow to love. And we do. Rest in peace, Chadwick Boseman. So with me today, I have two guests, husband and wife team, Aaron Stewart and Sean Stewart. Aaron and Sean, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having us. Happy to be here. (laughs) Uh, Why don't each of you take a moment to introduce yourselves and as you do so, share a little bit about your relationship to the Marvel Cinematic Universe. So I'm Erin Stewart. I have been teaching English for the past 12 years and uh, I would say about five or six years ago, I was teaching seniors and I took on, I kind of created an elective for like a fiction into film course. Um, mostly just to engage seniors back into, you know, school <laughs> at the oh, yeah. end of the year. And then it really turned into this kind of like personal passion. And so a lot of what I know about film uh, is self-taught. And now I'm currently trained as an IB film teacher. And um, every day I learn more and more about film. And I would say that that's something I don't you know, I love teaching English too. I love storytelling just in general, but mm. there's something really, I think, inherently special about film. I think it's a dominant cornerstone of our culture. And to that end, like, I think the Marvel cinematic universe is, especially the fundamental part of American culture, I imagine that other cultures as well feel like it's significant storytelling as well. And um, I find as a fan, the whole story world to be incredibly impressive, how, how they've developed it, how they've connected all of the films together to almost feel like one gigantic film. Oh yeah. That's very cool. Yeah. Yeah. You're watching, it's like you're watching an episodic series and if you miss an installment at this point, that's, that's on you. You know, you, you have to watch them all. Uh, this is Sean and, um, my, my day job is the boring uh, banking stuff, but it gives me plenty of flexibility to do the things that I love, which are hang out with my friends and family and um, you know build a, build a life outside that uh, allows me to not pin my self-worth to my career mm. <laughs> and get to do fun stuff like this. Um, and I'd say I'm pretty invested in the MCU. Um, obviously, I've, I've consumed all of their content, most of it on multiple occasions. I've, uh, you know, I've got opinions on the characters and what they do well. And just in terms of production value and, and storytelling in relation to their peers, I think it's unmatched. Um, it's nice to see that a team can sit down and put together a long-term plan and execute on it uh, without feeling like everything is, is piecemeal. I, I really think the MCU has, has it's super nailed thoughtful. that. It's super um, thoughtful. You know, they do their retcon as needed. but Tara, when you initially asked me if I wanted to chat film about, obviously I'm like, yes. And also I want, I would think it would be a great idea to have Sean, my husband, because he's the reason why he kind of insisted 
<laughs> I watch all these films and he's like a serial watcher. Like if he like, so for instance, when Ragnarok came out, oh man, I'm like, it's good. I like it. And he's obsessed. like watching it every night. <laughs> I'm a big fan. He's I like, can relate. So <laughs> yeah, I can relate to that rewatchability. So the movie that we're going to talk about today, Captain America Civil War, um, just in broad strokes, what do you think of it? So I, I would say, all right, grading scale, top 10. Um, I don't oh, know yeah. the exact ranking, but um, I, it's in the upper echelon um, of the Marvel movies. They did a lot. Uh, they introduced a ton of new characters. It's it's rewatchability is maybe a little bit lower, even though I really value the movie than some of the other ones. Um, but I thought that it uh, it was one of the one of the handful of movies that was sort of a turning point toward the end of of the of the phase. I know they've had the three different phases, but it really did feel like it was part of setting up, you know, the big Infinity War Endgame uh, finale. Uh, I was kind of feeling like I'm. I, sometimes I'm torn between it being an actual Captain America movie or is it an Avenger movie? Right. Mm-hmm. And like in my mind, I I feel like it's one of the better Avenger movies. And I probably would pick maybe another Captain America movie. I don't know. Like, I feel like it's... Okay, I hear you. I don't know. I just always, in my head, I'm like, this is an Avenger movie, even though it's a, a Captain America film. So I'm I'm really, really excited to talk about this one. This is the movie that pro- probably provided me with the final push to actually do the podcast. Oh, cool. Very cool. Um, it was something I had thought about. Like, I had thought about in some way trying to combine my interest in this movie franchise and others like it. Well, is there any really like it? I don't know. I was thinking some of the Star Wars was kind of my only other thought, but... Uh, I'd be like, maybe Harry Potter. scale is so much smaller. <laughs> yes, so yeah. much smaller. But yeah, I had been toying with the idea and I, I knew I didn't want to do something that was a straightforward review podcast. Um, and my interests really lie in looking at the different, the, I just with this movie, there's so much in it and so many different angles you could take to it. And I think that that's really kind of what inspired me to take the approach I did in kind of creating this podcast. Um, yeah, I, I agree with you. And I felt like for me, this film added a lot of like rich complexity to the Avengers series just in general. Yeah. And it added some depth because it, like, even it introduced Black Panther, it introduces Spider Man. Oh, yeah. Like, there's a lot, there's a lot to unpack. Definitely. And I would argue that specifically concerning the the weaving of its intricate intertextual web, that this is one of the, the crowning achievements of, of the MCU in that respect. Mm-hmm. And I agree, Sean, I think that it's not necessarily one that I want to just like put on before bed in terms of like, it's not necessarily the most, uh, most fun. Pop, popcorn flicky. Exactly. Because yeah. it is so heavy. But that being said, every time I see it, I always get something new out of it. And there really is just so much character development, intriguing conflict, so many quotable moments. Um, and I'm I'm endlessly impressed by how well it balances so many characters when it's it's not even a movie with Avengers in the title, as you were saying, Aaron. And I think I do think it is successful at being an Avengers film in, in all but name. <laughs> Um, while also being a, car- a Captain America movie in some ways, because sure. it, it definitely feels like the natural next step in the progression after Avengers Age of Ultron. 
for the team. But I think if you're doing a, a cap trilogy marathon, I think it does follow Winter Soldier pretty nicely, too. One of the things that I appreciated mo- most about it from like maybe more of a literature storytelling standpoint is like the use of dramatic irony where we constantly knew what Captain America was doing and what he how he was trying to influence and bring Bucky back in. Right. Um, whereas all the other characters didn't really understand what his motive was. And I, I just really appreciated that aspect. Um, so I could see that. Yeah. That it's per- it's personal for mm-hmm. him. The the Bucky element is what makes it personal for him, and the Bucky element, as far as I understand, is is one of the big differentiating factors between the Civil War story as it plays out on screen and as it did in the comics. Um, there are others too, but I think that that element is part of what they did to try to make it feel more personal to Steve. Yeah, and the death of Agent Carter as well, right? Right. So I I do think for for me some of that through line from Winter Soldier is definitely thanks to the directing team, Anthony and Joe Russo, who also did Infinity War and Endgame, and the writing team, Christopher Marcus and Stephen McFeely, who wrote the screenplays for all three of the Cap movies. So there's that consistency there. Um, and, and they also did Infinity War and Endgame. You know, so many talented people have contributed to the franchise, and I spoke a lot about Joss Whedon on my (laughs) Avengers and Age of Ultron episodes, Um, but I think the consistency in those two teams, um, having worked on the Cap movies and Infinity War and Endgame, um, I think it does really serve a benefit to the character arcs that develop across that movie and the motivations, like you were saying. And just to connect that to my IB film class, like something that we talk about in filmmaking is that it's so highly collaborative. And that's like kind of the focus of our entire class is like, you need to work well. And sure, you might have a vision as director or writer, but you know, you're letting other people have their hands on your, your story. And so there has to be like an agreement. And I just find that so interesting, that element of filmmaking, um, and what you were just saying, like, some of the other stories that try to be the Marvel Cinematic Universe and they're like attempting it, they really lack that continuity and that that clear collaborative element that it works clearly so well in, in this uh, film series. All right. So Captain America Civil War was released in 2016, the first film of phase three of the MCU. And I, I think it was such an impressive way to start off a new phase of the franchise with this movie. And to me, it really does kind of blow me away thinking about the ambition behind that. Um, and then knowing what we know now about where that phase went. And I think you were kind of speaking to that earlier, Sean. It just really um, is super, super impressive. Pedro the cat is here, if you heard her. In chronological order, it directly follows Ant-Man. And so you get the character of Falcon kind of creating a nice bridge between um, that film and this one. And it also occurs right before Doctor Strange, um, who is one of the few characters that you don't actually see in this movie. But As you were saying earlier, later in Phase 3, we, of course, get Spider-Man Homecoming and Black Panther. And, of course, both of those characters are introduced here in Civil War. So by the time we get to this movie in the MCU, the intertextual elements really cannot be ignored. And, yeah, why don't we we get into it? So (laughs) is there a particular thread that you guys want to start with? Um, I think that, like, the thing that struck me the most... um, 
was the collective identity. I know that you guys in season yours in your season one, you focus a lot on, I think maybe individual identity and like Mm -hmm. where they, how they see themselves. And in this case, it's like how they, how you see themselves as part of a unit, uh, as part of a community, in this case, the Avengers, you see that, that conflict of like, you know, identifying as being an Avenger, but also being Captain America or being Iron Man within it. In relation to the whole, right? Right. And, uh, and so the personal identity, like even for Tony, like, some of his fear and his guilt and the pain, like the pain of, you know, the civilian casualties of Segovia. Like, I feel like that it's, that's what it's like their own personal standing within the unit that. And that's the first time we've had to deal with that. Right. So if if you're breaking this down into phases, right. So phase one culminates in them coming together. Mm -hmm. So it's all these individuals, their individual identities, and finally they form. Phase two is all about them acting as a team. It really is about the collective identity. Phase three, and this movie in particular, starts the idea of, yes, we're a collective, but gets back to that, but what do I believe in? Like, mm-hmm. what, How do I, where does this place me in relation to this team? Um, and, that, and that's explored throughout the rest of, you know, through the whole rest of this phase, right? Uh, it's right. not, um, uh, which I guess I hadn't really thought about how they divided this up. Man, they do a really good job. With I know, I know, <laughs> they really do. <laughs> and uh, so, like, in, it, I know we were going to talk about that debate scene, and like Tony's, like, there is no debate. There's no decision to be made. Captain is like, you know, if we sign this, what happens to our choice and our like, and you know, to to what you were saying, like, what about happens to my personal beliefs if I agree with the whole. And I really loved, um, oh my gosh, why do I always blank? Black Black Widow. Yeah. Yeah. I love her espionage playing a role in that scene too, because she's like, I'm going to play, I'm going to read the terrain. Yes. And uh, in the unlikely event, agrees somewhat with Tony. And then ultimately, you know. What are your point? She's her identity as as a spy, right? She's a double agent. And and, uh, when they're having the discussion about what direction to go, she plays the role of the double agent, right? She she kind of says says the right things, agrees with yeah. the Tony side, and then ultimately when it matters, you know. Then she makes her sw- choice. Flip, yeah. Flips her tune you know, or shows her true colors, whatever it was. Maybe she changed her mind. Maybe that was the, the idea yeah, all yeah, along. that's true. Uh, again, double agent, that's her identity. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. I appreciated that. I think there are a couple of key scenes worth talking about related to what you just brought up about um, Tony's guilt and about the uh, the reckoning with the the fact that there has been destruction because of their actions and more recently there have been actual civilian deaths because of their actions so after you know the the movie opens up on Bucky because of course it does because it's a Captain America movie, right? So they're opening up on Bucky and they're opening up on on the past, right? And then it after the, I think it's right after the, the Marvel Studios credit, um, what do you call that? Title card, title card, there right? Um, that, uh, that then you get like the big letters that say Lagos present. I think it says present or present day, right? So I think to me, too, that suggests right off the bat, right, we are going to be faced with the past and we're also going to be faced with the future in a certain way. And I I see Steve and Tony as kind of representing, you know, Steve as representing 
the facing the past and Tony as being like as Futurist. the futurist. Right. Yeah, yeah. Right. So I think that that element is there. Um, in the scene in, in Lagos, um, you know, we're kind of throwing it like you were saying, Sean, right? Like where we left off with, um, you know, Age of Ultron opens this way too, where they're working really well together as a team. They know how to communicate and they it's know. It's just a day at the office. They're killing a bunch of people. Right. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Somebody's trying to steal weapons. We're there, right? And, uh, you know, it's it's very much what we have become used to as watching like, you know, the 12 movies that have preceded this one in the MCU. But shortly thereafter, we realize that this movie is going to make us approach it in a different way and bring a new lens to it. And I think that that's really shown. So, of course, in that scene, when Rumlow is about to, you know, he's got like a suicide bomb on him or whatever. And Scarlet, which, you know, um, is able to kind of throw him in the direction of the building with her powers. And then, okay, building is destroyed and people die. Mm-hmm. Um, and we don't really see the people dying in that moment, but you can feel it in their reaction. Um, then there is the, there's the Tony scene at MIT in between there. But shortly thereafter, um, when Secretary Ross approaches them and kind of confronts, the, uh, makes them confront what they've been up to these past few years, showing clips of what we've seen in the other movies, right? Like showing the Battle of New York and showing what happened in DC and Winter Soldier and of course Sokovia, but the clips are shaky cam, like meant to kind of portray more of like, this is how a civilian would have experienced it as opposed to how we saw it. Yeah, it's, it's Blair Hollywood. Witch Camera. Yeah. Right, right. So I think that it's an interesting way that it's like this movie is confronting the... The like, reality on the ground, right, of, of yeah. their actions. Not uh, the stylized superhero version, but like the consequences. Right. And it's kind of holding a mirror up to this franchise in a way in doing that, right? Because we, we had seen the groundwork being laid. And this is why, again, I really appreciate going back to movies like... Winter Soldier and Age of Ultron, because they're laying the groundwork for these types of of conversations about what does it actually mean to be an Avenger and what is a hero and how should a hero behave. Um, but this is the first time we're really the audience is coming face to face with this question, like explicitly, and that you know the, the heroes are kind of faced with that too. So I think that that's kind of interesting. And I'll, and and just to expand on that, and not just like the role of hero, but also like you know, the role of leadership also involves concessions and like hearing other ideas and, you know, things like that. So I feel like it's not the typical American idea, identity of leadership. America, like, it seems like we're normally like, you've got a vision and you execute and you don't let anyone stand in your way or detract from you or tell you it's wrong. And this is more like, there's more than, it's not a black and white. We live in a gray area. There's a room for discussion. We can both have differences and can both be right. Yeah. And uh, going back, like connecting back to what you were saying, like, you know, which it, there's a little bit of an element with Captain America where he's kind of part of his identity is that nostalgia, like that past element. And he identifies so strongly with that, that American ideal, you know, good versus evil. And, and like, I think it's like a really interesting crossroads even for him. And sometimes I need to, so I, <laughs> I guess I'll reveal this early on in our recording. I, I'm team cap <laughs> yeah. um, while also recognizing that they're both right and they're both wrong. 
Um, but I definitely think that there there's a real truth in what you're saying, Aaron, that he is so confident that he's right. But again, like thinking about this idea of like, he is, he is the man out of time. He's the man from the past being lifted from a different historical context into this one. And mm-hmm. is there a disconnect between his ideals that have been shaped by his experience and then the reality that he's in now versus Tony, who is very much of the, like the 21st century yeah. political moment. Right. right. Yeah. So it's interesting. I, and I, I agree. I, I think of that, especially in most in this particular film, I definitely was on team team captain America as well. And like, there were moments where I find Tony Stark to be very reactionary. From the first Iron Man, right? So he's reacting to the events that just happened to him, the things that are thrust upon him. So, you know, he's playboy, billionaire, warmonger, up until the moment where he's captured and shown to like see what, you know, reap what he sows or whatever, you know, idiom you want to use. Uh, and then comes back and was like, oh, I need to change because something happened to him and then he reacted to it. He didn't sit down and reflect yeah. and think, oh, maybe I should do this. A, a, a traumatic event happened and then he shifted In course. the same thing in this film, that woman approaches him, yeah. tells her story, right. and he just immediately, whereas I find Captain America to be highly reflective and a little bit more responsive. Is he sometimes guided by his emotions? Sure but not nearly to the extent that Tony Stark is. And, uh, and, and he's like, and, and Tony tends to be like Volatile. resolute in he- how he feels. Once he makes up his mind that's and it. they both, so they actually both have yeah, that, true. but cap comes from the place of, he's very self like reflective, introspective. Uh, and Tony is more like in that moment, I made up my mind and now that is what my decision is. And I'm not interested in hearing. And there's no discussion. Right. Yeah. There's no discussion here. Yes. And we talked about that um, in our Age of Ultron episode, because of course, his decision to dabble with artificial intelligence and create Ultron in that movie, it's the same kind of thing. Like he doesn't want to consult the rest of the team because he knows that there's going to be an argument. And he unless, in that moment, unless right. he knows that the person's going to agree with him as in the case of Banner. Exactly. Yes, exactly. He knows he knows exactly what he's doing. And um, and he's also the type of person that even in this movie that you could see like he is so resolute until it really no longer serves him. And then he's going to you killed my ma. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> Sorry to laugh at that, but um, yeah. We, but I find that I find that collective identity and like the com- in conflict with their personal identities to be really, really interesting. Yeah, I completely agree, and it, it is a really interesting thread to trace throughout these as well. And so you were just talking a little bit about their arguments uh, for and against signing the Sokovia Accords and you were talking a little bit about Tony's emotional response to everything. Um, Do you want to discuss their big debate scene a little bit? For sure. All right, let's... It's, it's, yeah, one of the more iconic scenes in the movie. Well, aside from the the Iron Man, it is, it's the conflict of the entire, it's, that's when the conflict is established. Good point. Sorry, the English teacher and me, I'm like, let's see where we are in Trey Tag's pyramid. Yes. (laughs) So, (laughs) debate scene. Yes. Yeah. Our thoughts. So, I mean, in terms of the appeals, I feel like, um, again, kind of connecting back to Tony being very reactionary and highly emotional, 
his entire argument I felt like was pathos. Like he was appealing to emotion and uh, he, he even brought up the picture of uh, the boy Charles, Charles yeah, and told the whole story, um, used a bunch of rhetorical questions that kind of made you feel like if you disagree with me, then you don't care about this child's death. Right, exactly. And so um, that was the thing that kind of struck me the most. Um, I definitely felt like I would have to look them up, but there were a bunch of logical fallacies <laughs> in terms of their thoughts. So, on uh, so how, so vision's argument, I think oh, it yeah. was the most logical and maybe you can point to some fallacies yeah. that I'm not thinking of. Vision is the opposite of Tony, even though they're on the same side where he, he's like, I'm going to lay out to you basically an equation. Um, yeah. You know, the way he says it, you know, exponential growth of threats and, you know, the compromising error, the, the, um, corresponding collateral damage, uh, which is what this kid was. Mm-hmm. So what's causality. any, uh, right. Causality, any fallacies that you could think of in his. So, so basically he's like, maybe there's a causality. I'm like, man, correlation does not equal. Causality. Exactly. Like, That's I, what I, was thinking. Yes. I mean, yes. maybe sure. You're making a good point, but you actually don't have any evidence that one is causing the other. You're painting a nice picture. I could also tell you that global warming is leading to more threats coming because it's accelerating. Like yeah. just because they're both happening at the same time doesn't necessarily mean one causes the other. Correct. Right. Yeah. That would be one. I loved that quote though. It kind of reminded me of Yoda when he's like, "Fear is the path of the dark side," <laughs> you know, like that kind of yeah, that kind of profound. fear leads to anger, anger leads to hate, hate, hate leads to the dark side. I don't want to spell hate it out leads for you, to but suffering. Oh, <laughs> right. Vision says, "Strength invites challenge. Challenge incites conflict. Conflict breeds catastrophe." And that is a really nice soundbite. Um, and I yeah, and I that think that nice. that's a really nice idea as well. But I, I had the same thought about the causation correlation piece of what he was saying um although clearly he is the is the one here who is appealing to to the logos if uh if any of them are so who so all right so we we covered tony we covered vision um wanda was pretty quiet during this this uh whole conversation yeah. she was more concerned about herself because it was so right raw for her still well that's the, i think the yeah for her like and going back to what you were saying about the uh, handheld video footage that was presented to them, like everything is kind of building that fear and guilt. And like for her, she's like afraid of herself. And like, and then even um, Vision was like, we'll protect you. And it's like. Hmm. Jumping ahead a little bit, but but uh, Wanda has a little bit of the opposite of what Peter Parker has. You know, Peter Parker's classic line, which I don't actually say. They, they don't spell it out <laughs> this way like they do in That's every right. single other Spider-Man. But, you know, great power, great responsibility and all. Um, Wanda's more like, I have this great power and I'm terrified. Mm-hmm. And Peter's like, I need to use this for good because he hasn't had a catastrophe yet. He hasn't had, right. you know, casualties on his hands. So all he sees is his propensity for good where she now sees both for the first time. Right. That's and you know, really I'll argue that she sees that she saw this all along because it, you know, her origin story was out of like terror and fear and pain and like the horrors of power. Right. Like she, her whole origin story is she was her and her brother are sitting next to a bomb that Tony Stark created waiting to explode. It, it just never happened. And then they go through these treatments. She gets her superpowers yeah. and blah, blah, blah. And she loses her brother. Yeah. She loses her brother. 
Yeah, I think that's a really interesting contrast you brought up between Wanda and Peter. I hadn't considered that. And I think they are, uh, as uh, my friends last week were kind of reminded me, I think I had blocked this out. She's supposed to be very, very young. I think she's supposed to be like 17, 18 in this movie. Oh, right? Yeah. And, you know, of course, and Peter, of course, is also very young. So it's interesting right. to right. put them in, in contrast to each other. Um, and then I thought it was interesting the way, and forgive me, I'm pregnant and my brain is <laughs> very spacey these days, but you've got, um, like, what's his name? The other Iron Man, but not that War Machine, War Machine. War Machine and, Iron Patriot, and, uh, the new Captain America, Falcon, Falcon, having a, Sam. <laughs> having, a, having a hard time, but I thought that their, their interaction was an interesting like you know opposite yes and what i appreciated about it is they took the normies like they took the humans who happen to have enhanced powers because of technology versus something inherent in themselves and they played out the exact same debate that the superhumans are having i guess tony's also in the same way but i'm going to chalk him up extreme intellect right he has he has unnatural uh, yeah intellect yeah um, unnatural, supernatural. So, they, so you're saying that they were having more of a civilian conversation. It's a, yeah, so they're presenting the exact same sides as Tony and and Cap, but for just two guys. They're just a couple yeah. of guys. Because outside of their suits, it's just two two guys standing there having this conversation with each other. So it's, it's interesting that it, they actually That's don't true. present any different information than Cap and Tony do. They have the exact same perspectives in one camp or the other, but they represent us like the average folk yeah. i guess even though they've got these suits and war machines character don Cheadle is like 117 p- countries want to sign this and like his re- his reasoning is like well everyone agree everyone thinks this is a good idea so and caps the plant you know right. or carters the plant yourself like a tree and oh yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. card what did she say or oh that's my, my what favorite was, that was a good quote yeah. Even if the whole world is telling, I'm going to paraphrase, but even if the whole world is telling you to move, plant, plant yourself, yourself like a tree. And there say was no, another you move. quote too. I don't remember. Compromise remember. where you can, and when you can't, yes. don't. Yeah. Uh, even even when, even when the whole world is telling you something wrong is something right. right. That's well done. The Which is slightly paraphrased from the comic um, that it's based on. In which it's actually a quote that Captain America says to Peter Parker, interestingly. Oh. Yeah. I learned. Yeah, which is really really cool. Um, although in this movie, it may make sense that they put it, they gave it to Peggy Carter, I think. Yeah. And it, it connects so nicely to the conversation about collective identity, because just because you are part of this community and this is what everyone is, belie- you know, thinks is right, doesn't necessarily mean that you have to go along with it. I feel like, you know, uh, one of the books that we read in the English class is Crucible and mm. like looking at you know, crowd, the, like, or you read that book, Wisdom of Crowds, like, you it's know, not the same thing. <laughs> I know, but it's like, but some, sometimes when a crowd believes something together, it can be good. But Wisdom of Crowds is that if, if you get the, the opinion of crowds who are independent of each other right. with their own experiences and their own information, collectively, you take all of these individual experiences, and put them together, you get super close to the right decision. If kind of everyone out, together... Right? Talking to each other, same information, same right. experiences, that's groupthink. And that's terrifying. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's relevant, like in terms of um, in terms of what we're talking You're about. Right. It is. Yeah, yeah it sure. definitely is. 
just to highly focus on this scene. Yeah. So you've got a group of individuals because uh, I like this. I like this theme. So you've got this group of individuals with completely different backstories. I mean, couldn't have more dissimilar experiences. Cap is from a different century. Oh yeah. Right? Uh, Romanov is is created like cap but like super young different circumstances tony developed this on his own i mean all these people vision is whatever vision <laughs> is, right like everybody is so distinct so from a from that wisdom of crowds perspective they should be pretty close but they do have a lot of the same recent experiences and that creates bias so it's weird that so it, so it is actually interesting that they're able to break to break past that in a way and not all come to the same conclusion, considering they've had these shared experiences across X number of movies mm, and, mm-hmm. you know, natural or uh, unnatural disasters, catastrophes, uh, as, as Vision said it. There, I don't feel like there's a ton of rhetoric to analyze. What do you think? No, I just noticed a couple of those, like the, the pathos, the logos, um, you know, I, uh, maybe a moment of ethos when Tony Stark brings it back to him, but that's also what Tony Stark does when he talks about mm-hmm. how he um, he had um, chosen to destroy his suits and right. kind of using that as a point of credibility. Um, See, did you did you though, buddy? <laughs> I know, seriously. I mean, that was a really emotional third Iron Man, and then we just pretended that it didn't really happen, but that's fine. <laughs> I know. What were some of, like, were there any takeaways in terms of uh, rhetoric that we didn't touch on? I don't think so. I, I I also noted what you said about how Rhodey's approach is, is very much, well, 117 countries want to sign it. That means something, right? And and also how he references Secretary Ross as having a Congressional Medal of Honor, which, like, as you were saying, in his, like, very civilian perspective, well, his military perspective. Military right? perspective. Yeah, sure. that, that means something. But, like talking about intertextuality and a payoff for watching the incredible hulk 2008 like the like secretary ross is not a trustworthy guy right so i was just gonna say that i feel like that's like a false appeal to ethos yeah like it's not quite establishing credibility no it's picking out yeah picking out one and and forgetting the body of his work it's a a superficial representation of one's credibility completely agree so I had done some reading about, um, well, I have this book, I'll show it to you. And it's called The Avengers in Philosophy. And it's based on like the comic characters. It doesn't really. Is this like the, the same authors who do like Buffy the Vampire Slayer and Philosophy? And, yeah, <laughs> yeah it, it's like the same publishers for sure. Publisher. Okay. Um, or a series editor. Maybe there's some of them in common. But yeah, so in there, it kind of, it talked about the Civil War story uh, the Civil War storyline in the comics and made an argument for Tony Stark as being representative of utilitarianism and uh, Steve Rogers as being representative of deontology. Um, and I think everybody knows utilitarianism, but I hadn't heard the other term. Deontology, yeah. And we yeah. forgot to look it up before this. <laughs> That's fair. Um, but I think that, you know, the simple version is it's connected to the question of like, how do we know if an action is morally right? So where a utilitarian approach would be that an action is good if it has good consequences. Deontology is based on the idea that it's good if it is in itself based on good, good principles. Thing. So ends just by the means versus, okay, I gotcha. Exactly. It, the ends do not justify the means. Yeah. So, right. Utilitarian consequences matter more than intentions. Deontology intentions matter more than consequences. So I think that that's kind of the quick breakdown of it. So I, I 
think I think you see that in this movie in, in Oh yeah. Steve's arguments. He just like keeps going back to what is right and what is right is based on his principles. Right. And he and go and just to connect it to that whole debate is that he brings up the the role of choice and and not wanting to lose choice and that I think connects well to this idea of intention. Right. Because that's that's interesting. So right. So if Steve's thought is I know, like, basically, he's like, I, I know my heart is pure. I'm Captain America for, America, for Christ's sake. But he's not, he's not arrogant about it. But basically, he's like, I know, I know where my, where my intentions stand. I know where my heart lies. I know what I'm trying to accomplish. But his argument is also that sometimes you got to break some eggs. I mean, he doesn't, yeah, he's more like, you know, yeah, maybe somebody dies. We definitely want to minimize it. He's not this collateral damage is acceptable type. But that's sort of his argument, right? His argument is, I, at my core, know I am acting in the right way. And if something goes wrong, I am willing to live with the consequences. Now, he's not the, you know, again, he, like, you've heard that argument from lesser lesser people than Steve Rogers. It strongly influences his his interactions with Bucky and, and all of that as well, because, yeah, he just never loses faith or hope that Bucky is still him. I'm going to say that it, he never loses faith that he's right. Does Captain America ever consider that he's wrong in any of these? And I'm not saying that he is wrong, but does he ever really consider that he might be, that he might be wrong? I think the only moment I can think of is in Avengers 2012 when Tony and Bruce are trying to convince him that S.H.I.E.L.D. is up to no good. And he like resisted at first. But then he's kind of like, hmm, maybe they were right about that. And like he goes to explore for himself and see that they really were creating weapons. weapons and yeah. Like when they're on the hovercraft. Yeah. That, but, but that's not, in, that's, a, that's still external. Yeah. That's still an external, like, uh, you know, like I'm part of this organization. This organization is great. And then he questions the organization. Yeah. And I'm not saying he has reason to question himself. He's Captain America after all. But, <laughs> um, but still, he should at least consider the idea. Yeah, not a necessarily a knock, but if the so so we're talking about the two ideas, right? Um, and we always think of like the ends justify the means as like what the hallmark of the bad guy, you know, the person who thinks that they're right, like Thanos, but they're act right, like yeah. Thanos. Thanos is an ends justify the means type of guy. That's super interesting. Yeah. I'm going to really like I'm going to go to bed tonight and I'm going to be thinking about are there scenes in which Captain America considers that he is wrong. I did want to one of you had just said something about this idea about his um his beliefs or his 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 faith or you made some connection to Bucky and um that got me thinking about the letter that he sends Tony at the end of the movie not to jump ahead too right. much but we can kind of go out of order for thematic sake. Sure. Um but he sends that that letter to Tony and he talks about, um, well, he says, we all need family. The Avengers are yours, maybe more so than mine. And I thought that was interesting. Yeah. And then he talks about how when he grew up, he, he was alone. He was independent. He didn't fit in. And he says, my faith's in people, I guess, in individuals. Mm -hmm. And he says um, about how they haven't let him down and I can't let them down either. And I, I think that that's really interesting. I think there's something there to that that his faith is in people not in institutions not in shield right not in the government to what extent does that mean perhaps not even in the structure of the avengers right that's uh, pretty interesting 
Yeah. So I guess I hadn't really thought about that particular line, but that does inform a lot of his decisions. That he Cap thinks that people are inherently good, which is why he he trusted Shield as long as he did, which is why he trusted himself and his friends and Bucky. Um and all these, you know, and, and all, so many of his decisions are that people individually are better, okay. are good, and are better at, at making the right moral choice. And back to our group think versus mm-hmm. wis, you know, wisdom of crowds. Wisdom of crowds is about individuals. When we aggregate their decisions, that's good. But when we're all thinking together, that's bad. Whether it's government or the yeah. Avengers mm-hmm. or Shield or I mean, obviously Hydra, not great. That's a good yeah. That's it's interesting. it's interesting, and I we started to talk about it a little bit in the episode that we did on the Avengers. Um, me and my friend Colleen, like we were talking about to what extent are the Avengers like an organized group that are sure. a you know, an institution and to what extent is being an Avenger just being a, is that a moral identity or an identity related to your mission or goal? So I I think it's an interesting question. Um, And, and uh, also I think, I think it was vision made the comment about oversight. I forget what he said exactly, but can't be dismissed out of hand. Yeah. Oversight can be dismissed out of hand in terms of, if you see them all instead of as a group of individuals working as a team and it's more of an organization, perhaps organizations need oversight. Mm. I don't know. Have the Avengers at this point really consider themselves an organization right. up until now, right? They, they weren't formed at all until the Avengers. And even then they weren't formed. They just fought alongside each other and right. kind of figured it out. Phase two they start they they really act as a collective phase three what is that i you know there's been a ton of consequences there's been a a, a number of like unintended consequences of them acting collectively of their collective identity Mm. it's really interesting Mm. and something that you just said too before sean made me think about um t'challa when we first meet t'challa he says something to natasha that kind of seems out of place but now i'm realizing it really does seem connected he says two people in a room can get more done than a hundred and i think that's really interesting in light of what we're talking about yeah and i noted it because it seemed important but i was struggling to connect how that fit in with some of the other themes in the movie seemed in that field at the time yeah. right yeah. i think we're really onto something here. that's interesting yeah yeah so i guess we haven't even touched on t'challa and i know that we don't really dive into i was gonna say the mythology but like into the whole backstory uh, of his people in this movie, so it's, it's still very he, like he's yeah. still very one off in this movie. Like he's kind of the out of place guy here. We're like, all right, so suddenly there's this new superhero, superpower, and what do we know about him? We don't know anything about him, and, and we and we actually don't really learn much about him through this movie. Yeah, other than um, I mean, on the surface, it feels like he's driven yeah. by revenge. And uh, there were definitely moments where, I mean, for an introduction to Black Panther and then Black Panther being what it is as an important film in the in the in the whole universe. Yeah, there were moments while I was watching this film that I felt like he was almost villainous, a dark character, yeah, right? like and like an antihero almost, right, right, which I thought was really interesting in terms of the because role that he played between the, the rift between Tony and Steve, like. I don't know. 
That's a good point. Um, I was just thinking, I, you know, I think he, I completely see that too. And the T'Challa at the beginning of this movie seems very different from the, the T'Challa at the beginning of Black Panther, who is then right. also very different <laughs> than the T'Challa <laughs> at the end, end of Black Panther. Right. But I think that, you know, there's definitely an argument to be made here for despite how large this movie is in terms of how many characters are in there, there's there's an arc for T'Challa. Like he is driven by revenge, but then in the end, when he um, confronts Zemo, he says, uh, vengeance has consumed you. It's consuming them, meaning Tony and Steve. Right. I'm done letting it consume me. And, you know, and he keeps him from killing himself and turns him in. And then even in the mid-credits scene, um, when Cap brings Bucky to Wakanda and Bucky makes the decision to kind of go back under because he can't control himself, um, he says, I can't trust my own mind, which is interesting in and of itself. Mm -hmm. But um, T'Challa acknowledges, he says, your friend and my father, they were both victims. So he's already made a shift in this movie from a person who was out for vengeance to a person who is kind of recognizing the complexity. So yeah, he hasn't come quite full circle to the, I have a responsibility to my people, to the world. Because that's really what, like what we talk about with, with um, black, when we get into black Panthers or like, we owe the world. Like he, he, he started like at that point, he's like, I kind of, I, I see the responsibility to my people it's more than just me, and then he keeps broadening it up. So that is that's a good point. It's a very fast moving arc for that character. I, now that I think about for it. sure. Coming back to our original conversation about being t- Tony being very driven by his emotions, in the same way uh, T'Challa is also like motivated by his em- like you know what I mean. Like yeah, there's there's so many moments I think as people that the way we experience our circumstances and our experiences and how we feel. And and as much as our feelings and our emotions are real and valid, they're not necessarily the thing that should be driving or driving us or motivating us or dictating how we see ourselves. Like just because you're angry, you know, the experience and emotion is real and valid, but it doesn't define you as a person and shouldn't be the thing that's driving your actions external sources influence your emotions right so many ways and so i think i see that arc for many of them like even going back to scarlet witch like her fear right and then by the end like how do you how do you kind of overcome you know stand objective from your uh, how you feel about a situation um and you know make a choice from a non-emotional place. Can we dive into Scarlet Witch? You mentioned that. Mm-hmm. That's probably one of the more in this. If we're just looking at this movie as a snapshot, Scarlet Witch has has quite an arc in this movie. Yeah, right? she does. So she goes from completely confident in her abilities, um, knows who she is. Her brother's already died. She's more or less moved past it. She's like, "This is who I am. I'm here to help." I'm, I'm one of the Avengers. I'm one of the good guys. And then this catastrophe happens, which, I mean, in reality, she probably saved way more. I mean, right. saved way more lives. But she feels the weight of it because she's like, I made an action. It wasn't 100% perfect. A lot of people died. And now she's questioning her her worth, her value, like right. what where, where her place is, not just in the Avengers, but in the world. Yeah. And then the movie keeps progressing 
you know, vision is, is totally on her side and it's Clint who comes in and it was like, yeah. stop wallowing in self pity. You're still the person you were at the beginning of the movie. Who's like, I'm here to help there. I'm needed. I'm important. And we need you to get back to that person. You're done with this. Get out of here. This guy loves you and wants to take care of you. And he's got to go because that's not who you are. Right, right. So then, yeah, so she moves on. And then she's fully back into, like, you're, you're right. I'm, I'm yeah. a force for good. Like, it's a very, I'm not going to say quick, but, like, it, it's a full, it's a, it's a straight up, yeah. up like, an actual point A, point to move past, A, C, right. back to move past it, the po- To move past, like, whatever it is that you're grieving. Yeah. Right. And so to the point that, yeah, a couple of these arcs, like we're talking about with T'Challa and with Scarlet Witch, like they do seem very quick. I guess that also comes from the fact that there were just so many characters in this movie. Um, So they (laughs) they were like, okay, well, in this act, this character's here and then they're here and then they're here and then like, you know, broad strokes. Um, But I do think that, um, well, two things I wanted to mention. So she has a line related to what you were saying, Sean. Um, that she says to Vision, I used to think of myself one way, but after this, meaning the catastrophe, I'm something else. I'm still me, I think, but that's not what everyone else sees. So I think that that speaks really nicely to what you're talking about, like this reckoning that she's having with what it means to be part of this event, like this Avengers team and the actions they've done. And, um, And then I also... I think it's nice that it's Clint who kind of brings her back in because of Age of Ultron. And he's the one who says to her, if you step out that door, you're an Avenger. So I think that that is another nice callback. And and again, I think this movie really rewards people who have really watched all of the movies sure. in sure. that way. Um, and even the ones in the future, like, you know, like you get Everett Ross in this movie, like, what like <laughs> you know but um but yeah so I, I think that that's a nice moment too that he's the one who can kind of wake her up to that a little bit because there is precedent for it just as a side note i love hawkeye <laughs> yeah? i'm not a huge fan although i do like that moment those two moments in his relationship to wanda in these movies i i really appreciate so i kind of feel like he has um He's principled. Do you know what I mean? Okay. He is kind of more like civilian. Like I think he leans like more towards. Aside from the fact that he has an unnatural hand-eye coordination, he's essentially a dude. Right. Yeah. He's susceptible to bullets and such. Right. I find that I find that he is one of the characters that has a lot to lose in terms of his family and it wasn't it it wasn't until um, until the uh infinity war where he lost it and then then he became like everybody else where he was driven by his emotion he went fucking crazy i yeah right and because he lost everything yeah i would argue that he was still acting from his beliefs which is that like i'm here to stop bad guys right and maybe he took that a little bit liberally yeah right and and like he sought it out as opposed to responding to a problem, he like went looking for it um, because what else is he, he was looking going to, to? He was do? looking to die doing it. Yeah, right. And that's that's an interesting thing is that you know his. I don't think he, I feel like he's very, always willing to sacrifice himself, and yet it keeps eluding him. I can't. He can't he, die. He can't yeah. die. He can't put himself in a. That's actually interesting, though. That makes me like the character more if I read it that way. 
Yeah. That he's somebody who's looking like he's ready to make that sacrifice. Yeah. And I've and always the world's appreciated, just not letting him. Right. Right. And I've always appreciated his relationship with Natasha and their bond like and friendship. Something. And I think that's maybe why I like him because she doesn't have like I just always feel like her character has very much like not a lot to connect to. And not a lot of people on her side. Yeah, he's her family. Besides yeah. Yeah. Right. Besides yeah. she's the only, he's the only one. Yeah. I mean, to be, one, what, as this goes on, all of the Avengers are, are her family come this yes. point in the movie, I would say. Yeah, yeah, she and Steve are obviously very close. Right, right. Steve in particular is a great point. Even Tony. I mean, she has, she, she's the first one to meet Tony. Yeah. Right? I don't know. My my feeling is is that she remains the most objective out of all of them mm. um, throughout this particular film. How so? Because you were saying she plays both sides. She's willing to to listen to both sides more than everyone else. Oh, that's a good point. So everybody else more or less has their mind made up during during that yeah. ability of conversation. Right, you're jumping back, but yeah, she's, no, you're right. She's willing so, to be. So I. You know what? That's a good point because I viewed this as Natasha, the double agent, the super spy, who actually already had her mind well, in. She, but maybe she, she legitimately didn't. And she and she said that she's like, I'm going to read the terrain, right? Good point. Yeah, that is. That's really really interesting. And I'm going back to thinking about what she says to Steve in Winter Soldier about how like I could be whoever you want me to be, kind of thing, right? Like like that she does have that element of intentionally. Uh, well. I don't know. Is she at this point? Is she intentionally trying to be duplicitous, but or is that just part of who she is? That she, she can't help it. Yeah, right. yeah. It's really, really interesting. It's her. That's her instinct. Is to play both sides. Yeah. And to, and to lay low and to and then pick the pick the side that pick the she, winner. She yeah. I mean, right? Switching from the Russians to the United States. That's kind of well, right. Yeah. Kind of the whole deal. <laughs> Super interesting. Um, definitely um, like the moment between Clinton and Natasha when they're fighting in the airport scene in this movie. Yes. I was just going to transition a little bit into maybe some of the more filmographic because like you had asked me a little bit about like talking about filmographic techniques That'd and things great, like yeah. that. And uh, my initial reaction is there's nothing really uh-huh. remarkable about action films in general. Like it's all very much like explosions uh medium close-up shots like to to create that like yeah to create that energy of action chase scenes tons of chase scenes right love a good chase scene (laughs) yes and like obviously i think the cgi like in this film is really great but like as far as i think any action films just in general are like their film the filmographic techniques and again this is my very self-taught you know pretty new newbie film critique is that action films are very plot driven Mm. and the filmographic techniques lend themselves to creating an intensity i will say that there um especially in the end scene there when uh tony and steve were fighting and bucky was there and there was a lot of frame within a frame that i really appreciated that really like just captured the drama of that fight mm. at the end. And then also like the, you know, a very 
I think a great use of the rule of thirds where like, there's just like a lot of balance within each uh, frame. The best part of the film is that are the characters and, and their character arcs. Like we've been discussing for the most part, action films are pow, pow, pow. Yeah. Chase scenes, things like that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I was interested to get your, your perspective on that because that's a, that's something that I have never really studied. Like I know what I like and I know what impresses me, but I don't yeah. know what they're called, you know, the yeah, different yeah. techniques. Well, you t- um, tell me like, what was the scene that, what did you like? Like, what do you like about? I mean, my biggest, as you were saying before, my, like my biggest interest in these movies are the characters and, and thematic motifs. I would say in terms of cinematography, the shots that really blow me away are typically come from the movies that are a little bit more based in um, this kind of space or otherworldly realm. Like there are some shots in Doctor Strange, sure. um, in even in Ant Man, which is not my favorite. But there are some cinema. Sure. What's the when they, go in, when they go into the quantum. The quantum realm, realm like yeah. those shots, I think are beautiful, and that's more cito- photography, right? Cinematography, like. Mm-hmm. Um, and I would and I would say that the scenes that are more comic book derivative, like yeah. the. Like in, in terms of, of this movie, um, the iconic Cap Shield versus Iron Man yes. blasting scene, like it's a very comic booky. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It, it's like it's a uh, comic book art. I could see that they're like yeah, the the ca- the graphic novels are that it almost blends the animation with the real world in a way. Like yes, yeah, so. like we all know that it's all CGI. You know, it's all animation essentially. <laughs> you know, computer animation. Yeah. But when they when they deliberately blur those lines instead of making it try to look seamless, mm-hmm. I think are the more iconic visual yeah. scenes. I find also like the fight scenes too, and I I think it was in this film, but they were in a marketplace. And like, especially That's like the intro of this film yeah, before Wanda blows up. The right. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. To me, like the mise en scène of the the, the choreo- choreography of those fight scenes. Mise en scène. Mm. Yeah. So that's like basically like everything in its place and all of it working together to create like one seamless. It's like their fight scenes feel like a dance. Guys- Is there anything to talk about? In ter- like, so we haven't really talked about the bad guy of the movie. <laughs> yeah. Let's Is it that. because he's too one dimensional? He's just out for revenge based on his family. He has no arc. He has. I actually think I would make an argument that he functions the way he needs to function in this movie, because even though he's not a particularly memorable villain in the way that like a Thanos or, you know, a Killmonger, you know, is um, or even an Obadiah. I think he's a great villain. Don't get me wrong. Um, Oh, okay. Well, I mean, so what, what makes him great to you? Um, singular, singular purpose, mm. uh, capable, driven, f- focused. That's it. S- singular vision with, with, yeah. with capability. So I like him from that regard. Um, I, but in terms of like identity, he's super basic. That's my only point. Like, he, yeah, no, that's really interesting. Up. Cause all the qualities you mentioned, like in another world, he he could have taken the path to be one of our heroes, right? Like with those qualities. But I think I was say that like what's what's so different about the way he's behaving than everybody else? 
I like, think I was wrestling with that idea too, because he, in a way, he's the representative of that civilian perspective we were talking about before. Like the person who has lost people because of the Avengers actions. And, you know, Wanda and her brother had as well. But in Ultron, they kind of fairly quickly take the side of the Avengers when they find out that Ultron is trying to kill everybody. But so I I think that he's actually, he's interesting in providing a little bit of that perspective. And like, is that, is that like T'Challa's beliefs in the beginning part of this movie taken to the next degree, right? Like pursuing vengeance to the nth degree to the point where we, where we have to lose our sympathy for him is that he is willing to kill innocent people. Right. But I, yeah, I, I think that that is interesting. Does he kill innocent people? Well, the, the explosion, right? That's not him. No, he. That's well, nothing he, to do with him. he was. Wasn't he responsible for the explosion that killed T'Chaka? I thought so. Because he frames. You're right. You're right. Yeah. Because he frames him. I'm not gonna say, but only, but, but is that the only time he kills an innocent person? The, I know that's not great. No, no, no. I, I hear you. <laughs> I'm thinking about it. I don't. I was trying to think about the middle of the movie and I'm not sure. I know that there's that the guy who he's like kind of water torturing, but I'm not sure if that guy ends up dying. Hydra. He, That's he's fair. Hydra. Fair. I mean, I'm not saying that we should murder everybody who was Hydra, but so also- he, he does kill all of the winter soldiers. That's true. But- and they aren't inherently bad because they haven't given been given an opportunity to be bad yet. That's not true. They were an elite death squad. And again, I'm not saying, you know, all right, all right, all right. <laughs> no, I like I where you're going I'm with this. I really parsing out, like, is he killing, like, the Charleses of the world who are, like, putting miles on their soul? Well, I think there's di- different, okay. so there's variations, there's variations of the same kind of loss to take into certain degrees. Like, the mother who sought Tony out, there is T'Challa, right, and and the loss of his father, and then there's oh. the villain they all have the family. same grief. Right, they're like they're mm-hmm. working from the same kind of pain, but in in various degrees of it. Um yeah. and then I was also going to liken the you know, it's interesting cuz it's like it like the the ethics of it, but you know, killing all of the winter soldiers or compare it to Tony how he taught he's like I just you know, I dismantled all of my robot my suits and my you know things like that like you know that they're, obviously they're human um but they're but are they but, in his but, mind right are they terms, human yeah it's like to see to see he sees them as a threat and so going back to what you were saying about captain and like his intention mm. you know I that's know interesting I, no, no, no i like your i like your thought of like the three different versions and and each of them started by taking it to where their where their station and powers would allow right so charles's mother did what she could she brought it to the attention of tony right she used rhetoric like she she used her voice and that's all she had she didn't have superpowers she didn't have advanced training Mm -hmm. nothing like that right t'challa had actual superpowers and he took it as far as he could until he was swarmed by military police and forced to stop. And then Mm. later on Mm. realized the error of his ways. But if it were up to him in that moment, he would have ripped his, his freaking head off. Right. He got stopped from doing that. Right. This other dude uh, who's, uh, God, what's the bad guy's name? Ah, Zemo. Yeah. 
Zemo. So Zemo, Zemo takes it where he can. He has advanced military training. He's special ops. He does as far as he can, but nobody stops him. Nobody stops him from doing that. T'Challa would have killed that dude if he was left to his own devices. And same thing here. So T'Challa had the opportunity because he wasn't stopped. Zemo was able to carry out without anybody checking him until it was already basically right. too late, until he had Which executed his plan. goes back to uh, maybe a little bit of, in, in part, Vision's point about oversight. You, know? you need, right? right? Good point, man. You need yeah. to be checked. Yeah. You got that kind of power. You need to be checked mm. because otherwise you're Zemo. <laughs> <laughs> That's really, wow. Sorry, tangents. No. I mean, nobody's that interested in Zemo. That dude is done. He's never well, in any I, other so movie. I, I disagree. Well, I mean, yes. But villains aren't other than Thanos, right? That was an interesting element of the whole Marvel Universe. Like, very, I think, very rare that a villain, you know, there's a big, there's always a big bad. But, like, I don't know. I could talk about villains. I find villains to be incredibly interesting characters. And in this case, like, I mean, I think it's very rare that a villain makes makes it past you know the one storyline into the next like thanos does Mm. um like this overarching and And loki i would say in mcu but is loki would you characterize loki a villain or is he more like he's like an anti-hero and trickster yeah i think i think that there's different camps on that for sure i think you could definitely take the approach of like all of loki's actions in the avengers like was he kind of under the control of thanos or like to what extent was he really purposely doing these things and and i'm not sure where i fall on that but he he is you know a villain that we saw over a bunch of different movies and we got to see that side of the human side of him so the part of me like in terms of archetypes I feel like for, for me Loki feels more of the archetype of a trickster like a spike and that it's in his nature to That's good. yeah like a spike or but you know what I mean I'm like I don't spike think Spike is so cool that we really want him to re- be redeemed so we give him way more chances than he deserves yeah. and Loki is the same <laughs> And but like to me a villain is a very different archetype yeah, in the same way that, like you know to distinguish you know a hero from a villain like they fill different roles and purposes within a story's trajectory Yeah it's really interesting <laughs> Loki definitely f- fulfills purposes like there are times when he fulfills the narrative purpose of villain or antagonist, I guess we should say. Oh, that's and, better. And there are also times when he fulfills a narrative purpose of sure antagonist, but maybe also foil to protagonist, which is not necessarily antagonist, right? So yeah. I think he he gets to play a few different roles across the movies he's in. But yeah, to your point, in the MCU we actually don't see too many return villains, right? Because they often die or are done by the end of the movie that they're in. It's usually whatever. We have the same powers as the hero, but are bad. Right. Right, like Killmonger, who is a villain I really, really like, but um, but he's done at the end of that movie. And then that's that. Yeah. Yeah. Is there anybody that we didn't dive into their identity? Well, I would say that if we wanted to go into Spider-Man a little bit more, we could, but we also, you know, like, as you said before that, um, we get the not with great power comes great responsibility line. We get Peter Parker's, which I do really like when he says, um, when you can do the things that I do, 
but you don't and bad things happen. They happen because of you, which is the more convoluted way of saying <laughs> great power comes great. Power. I'm happy to dive into that. Um, and then, I mean, I, really the argument there is like, yes, but you haven't seen the things that the rest of the Avengers have seen yet because Wanda feels the same way when you can do the things that she, what if she just yeah. let that bomb explode? Right. How many people die then? Right. Instead you get like a handful of people that died because you prevented a worse thing. So Peter has never had that experience of, of I acted and then people still died mm-hmm. because he's so early in his journey. True. And really, he, I mean, I guess I didn't realize that Wanda was supposed to be almost Peter's age. You know, uh, I, I just assumed that she was a fully formed adult. <laughs> like, I really thought it was, I don't know. The only thing that really maybe occurs to me to kind of mention about Spider-Man's role in it is like, how no one really wants to hurt, like no one really wants to hurt anybody. Like even in, punches. even in, yeah, even in that whole scene, like they're fighting each other, like at a, yeah. at a distance. Yep. And, um, and especially with Spider-Man, like you're like you're just a kid, like that kind of like protect. Well, to- yeah, I feel and like Tony every- sets him down before it gets crazy, right? And everybody kind of protects that innocence, which I. I I can appreciate. Cap hits him and it's just like, oh, they have the fun little witty thing. Yeah, the Queens Brooklyn thing, which I do like. But I I also like, you know, he is so young and impressionable and he meets Tony Stark and is obviously in awe of him. And um, when he meets Steve and they're kind of facing off and and Steve says something like, oh, you don't you don't understand, you know, what this all is. Peter says, well, Mr. Stark said you would say that. And he also said that you're wrong, but you think you're right. And that makes, and that you, makes dangerous. you dangerous. Yeah. yeah. So I think that, you know, that's him clearly, uh, you know, my take Peter Parker would be much more morally aligned with Captain America's side in this. Um, right. But he obviously is just so taken by, you know, if Tony Stark Needs comes to your door, yeah. yeah, you know, and then of course, Tony Stark, you could say, listen, you're, you're doing all of this because of this young boy who lost his life, right? I mean, ostensibly, right? Obviously, there's other reasons, sure. but, you know, and then you're bringing this young boy into danger. Like, what are you doing, Tony Stark? But, you know, and, and you can see he gets so concerned when Peter gets hurt um, right. in the in the fight and, and, like, tells him, like, you're done, you have to go home. And then, of course, how confusing would that be for the kid, right? Like, you told me I could be part of this, and now you're telling me I have to leave. And, like, of course... Yeah, yeah. You told me this was important. I I like the scene in this movie. Well, Captain America and Iron Man fighting is super cool. As you said, you get all that comic book imagery. It's great. Um, You know, when he plunges the shield into the arc reactor, like yeah, it's just like you're like whoa, like you know, um, whole like metaphorical or like symbolic, like breaking his heart. Yeah. Yeah, and using that symbol. And you were saying something earlier, Aaron, I've been thinking about this the whole time, about how, you know, to what extent is Steve, like, you know, coming from this era uh, in which his ideals and American ideals and what it meant to be an American soldier was so Mm -hmm. different than the world he landed in when he was taken out of the ice. Um, To what extent is he embracing rejecting you know struggling with what those american ideals were and how they've changed and so 
I think that on so many levels, the, the scene where he's bested Tony in the battle and he plunges the shield and he picks the shield back up and he's about to leave with Bucky and Tony says, um, that shield doesn't belong to you. You don't deserve it. My father made that shield. Like, whoa. Like, if you take, like, thinking about, like, success in America, right? Like, you don't deserve it. It doesn't belong to you. My father is the one who, like, like it's almost like, whoa, right? But even, like, in terms of the shield itself, right? So he's saying, like, my father made that shield. Your friend there killed my family, right? And rather than um, argue with him or, like, Steve makes the decision to just drop the shield and walk mm-hmm. away. Yeah. Like, what does that say about him? I I totally read that as like, it's, it's a, it's a unnecessary accessory. Like, the shield isn't what makes him Captain America. Mm. He's still going to be Captain America with, with or without it. I don't need this to to help me it's like it's just an accessory mm-hmm. um it's a it's a weapon it doesn't like the weapon doesn't make him him mm. it's a tool That's for a achieving point. the purpose it's not the purpose right and he could he could pro- i think clearly achieve the purpose without it mm. that's interesting whereas tony without his weapon mm. I don't know. Billionaire, playboy, philanthropist. <laughs> right. Yep. Without, without all of that, what does Tony have? Aside from all the things I just said. <laughs> yeah, but that's like, you you know what I mean? Like, I see those all as accessories, still as accessories. Mm-hmm. His intel- intellect that he can make something with. I don't know. That's anyway, still pretty good. I digress. Oh, yeah. yeah. That's well, and then, of course, what's Steve's response to that in Avengers, right? Like, I know guys who have none of that and are still twice you or whatever he says to him in Avengers. Oh, I forgot about that line. What's yeah. the line? It's something, it? I know guys with none of that. And the second part is something about how they're worth worth more than him. Really? That's yeah. that's in the first In Avengers, part? yeah. I had to go back and see that. Because that's the scene where Cap is like, oh, take away the suit and what are you? And then that's his, yeah. that's Tony. Billionaire, Ryan. playboy, philanthropist. Right. <laughs> I didn't realize there was a retort to that. Yeah. I, I just thought that was the end of the discussion of like, that's, because most of us are like, that's pretty good. That's so, true. Even yeah. I think in that, like, because I, I just did an episode on that movie. So like Natasha's face is very fresh in my mind. Natasha's face is like, yeah, well, like, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> fair point. And I, I also want to just say that I really like Tony too. I also like Tony, right? Like there are times when I'm so frustrated and upset with Tony, particularly in his relationship to Peter Parker. When we get into some of the Spider-Man movies, I have some issues. But um, but yeah, I mean, all that being said, too, I mean, he's an incredibly intriguing character and that's Mm -hmm. what you want. You don't want to always necessarily agree with them, but you want to be intrigued. And I also think, too, at the very end, you know, again, going kind of tying back to our conversation about villains and uh the nature of truth, right? I think it was kind of important that Tony, in order for that, for for Tony and Steve to continue to have any kind of relationship, they kind of had to uh, confront that truth. Mm. Um, and Tony needed it because... Which truth? Uh, about his uh, Tony's father's and like his parents death like because that's clearly like a ghost from tony's past that 
you know, and that his comment of like, my father made that is anger, right? And it's still connected to his loss. The whole thing, you killed my mom. Like, yeah, he's, it's super raw for him still all these years later. Right, right. And, uh, and it breaks Tony's heart, literally and figuratively, to see Steve walk away with Bucky. But that was always going to be what's you know what oh, captain God. america should like yeah well he, he was my he, sorry when steve says he's my friend and tony goes so was i i mean <laughs> oh, it's personal it's personal <laughs> that that friendship does mean something to him and he's sarcastic right. and he's you know flippant all the time and he's gonna you know mess with steve right. and make fun of him right but you know it meant something to him it means something Such to him. formative years for sure yeah. Probably sort of likes all the music from when he was 15 also. <laughs> the, I think the last thing that we were started talking about was Martin Scorsese, who I... Smartin? who Smartin Scorsese. <laughs> he, he came out, and actually I had this last year, we had this whole conversation with my Ivy film class about, I brought, because they, especially teens, lo- I think love... The Marvel movies. I thought you were gonna say Martin Scorsese, and I'm like, for real? <laughs> I put, I showed, they weren't even alive when his good movies were. No, made. I showed. No, they yeah, they barely know who he is. I showed them the article, and they were like outraged. You know, that, who is this clown? Right. Some old man. And how dare? What's he, he done? Well, because I think that so more than anything else, and and kind of going back to like cinem- like right. filmographically. It's not anything not like it's not novel. revolutionary. Yeah, exactly. Like, sure. It really isn't. And it so really for, isn't. For, for 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 to that end, sure. Right? It's an action film. Yeah. However, I think there's something to be said about the place in our like in our cultural capital that all of these films and what they represent uh, over the course of how long? A de- over a decade? A Did decade? He, does he feel the same way about other action movies? Does he feel well, the same way about the Schwarzenegger 80s action movies? Is he like, that's not cinema? I, I honestly don't know the whole quote. Like, that's does he the love thing that bothers me is because, so a couple of things bother me. From an argument standpoint, he admits very clearly that he doesn't actually watch them. That right. he like tried it out, but it wasn't for me. Like, okay, well, what does that mean? Like, right? So, and again, I, I'm I don't want to sound like you a, a bashing Scorsese. And I haven't seen. That. I can't get through all of them. Right, either, so. exactly. So he he kind of said that he he doesn't see them because they're not worth his time. And I'm like, okay, well, that's the first thing. Like, how are you going to really form a critique if you're not seeing it? And then the thing that bothered me is so, and because I totally hear your point, Aaron. Like, if it's a critique coming from the filmographic standpoint. Sure, I'm. There's a lot of of weight to that, but he said this thing. So he said, "For me, for the filmmakers I came to love and respect, for my friends who started making movies around the same time that I did, cinema was about revelation, aesthetic, emotional, and spiritual revelation. It was about characters, the complexity of people, and their contradictory and sometimes paradoxical natures, the way they hurt one another and love one another, and suddenly come face to face with themselves." So I'm like. Okay, that's beautiful. Beautifully said. I think this movie does that, yeah. <laughs> and like a lot of these movies do that. <laughs> totally, totally. You and... could have picked on a worse. You could have picked on better targets. There are certainly movies that don't accomplish any of those, and I don't know that this is that. I agree. Yeah, and and like, and also to not have 
to not have watched all of them. Like, what did he watch? Thor, what is it called? Dark World? <laughs> and then he was like, no. Oh. <laughs> uh, right, right. Who knows? Who knows? Yeah. So, and- I mean, I think that, yes, there are many films that, that do exactly what he, he describes. And altogether, when you watch them all together, they definitely do that. I'm not, and, and again, I'm not. I'm not chalking these films up into the pantheon of great American cinema, but also like you know, we were talking about this. Like, what's but literature? Story, Do you say that the Harry Potter books don't deserve a place in literature? I'm not saying it's great literature. I'm not putting it next to like Dostoevsky, but like, does it deserve a place in right. the conversation? Yeah. Um, and for I think, what it accomplishes for sure i think it's a really interesting conversation that is uh yeah a conversation to be had in in multiple different spheres as you're saying and i think that um there's definitely an argument to be made or or a conversation to be had about like how much financial success drives some of these oh, franchises yeah. and when when storytelling decisions are maybe compromised because of the potential of financial success or not and and i think that would be a direction of sure. discussion that i think is, is worth um diving into i think what really bothered me about that quote that he said though was was because like i'm like listen on that basis you're like, wrong. find me a fan of these movies who does not feel that connection to the characters, that complexity, that contradictory. Like, it's mm-hmm. there. It's Great there. point. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, so on that note, before we wrap up, are there any other thoughts that you guys have regarding Civil War? So this is this is maybe one of the first movies in MCU where instead of it being obvious where the characters stand... Mm. the audience is given the opportunity to interpret it for themselves. Usually we're kind of told that this character is good, this character is bad, this character is flawed, but has these principles. And this is maybe the first movie where the audience gets to look at it and make a bit of a decision for themselves. Yeah, a a choice on where they come down and and whether or not they think that the hero's actions are admirable or flawed yeah um, or, their, inten- or it- their intentions yeah yeah and it's interesting but just kind of to to end on this idea of um perspective mm. and that uh i love i wrote down the quotes that uh scarlet witch says uh i can't control their fear only my own and mm. i think that i i think a lot through this whole conversation i kept coming back to our emotion and the way that we like, so in connection to perspective, like how we view and interpret uh, our circumstances and our experiences in turn in in order to make those choices. Like it's a similar thing to what you were saying. Um, And I ultimately like really appreciated at the very end, it had me thinking about the nature of forgiveness Mm-hmm. Um, whether it's the vil- whether it's the villain, right, or T'Challa, or Captain, like or all Bucky forgiving himself, right, absolutely, or not absolutely. all of that across the board. You know, to what extent does forgiveness play a role in how we see ourselves and how the world sees us? Wow, thank you guys. This was, <laughs> this was a lot of fun. I'm so much fun. I'm I really really excited about this episode. Yeah. I I 
this there's a lot that we dove into here that I think is really rich. And and I started this off by saying, like, every time I watch this movie, I get something new out of it. And this is the reason I want to do the podcast. And I, you know, there are things we talked about here that I are going to be added to what I'm thinking about next time I watch it. So thank you so much for that. Thanks for inviting us. Yeah, I can't wait to hear how you edit it all together. If you enjoyed this discussion, please consider leaving a rating and review. You can follow the podcast at anidea underscore podcast on Twitter and Instagram. Artwork was designed by Brooke Pender, who you can follow on Instagram at bpenderillustrations. Music by Demeter Salvia, who you can find on Bandcamp. Thank you for listening, and join me next time for We're the Avengers, Man, a conversation about 2018's Avengers Infinity War.